Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Chad, and you are listening to Mission Daily, your number one source for accelerated learning, business content, and interviews with world-class CEOs. In today's interview, we sit down with Christy Wyatt. Christy is the CEO of Absolute Software. Absolute is the leader in endpoint resilience. So what does that mean? That means they keep you and your devices secure. Now, more than ever, we're working from home. We are on all kinds of different devices, and there's an explosion of IoT out there, which means more connected devices, more possibilities for endpoint failure. Absolute is at the forefront of this industry. They integrate with the firmware, which is fascinating, and they provide CIOs and CISOs an unprecedented view of what's going on in their organizations across all of their devices. If it sounds like a complex problem in industry, you're right, it is. And Christy is a master at mastering complexity. Her career spans many different places, whether it's Sun Microsystems, Palm, Apple, Motorola, Citigroup, or on the board of Silicon Labs and Quotient Technologies, the list goes on. Christy is an awesome guest and we join her from our studios in Palo Alto while she's at her mini studios in Canada. So if there's a little bit of a lag or you hear some uh, challenges with the audio, please forgive us. We had to go to some technical extremes to make this interview happen. Enjoy. And remember, resilience is something that all of us could brush up on now more than ever. Enjoy. Today's thank you for sponsorship and world-class products and services goes out to Trinet. I'm the founder of a media business and I need all the help and organization I can get. One of the biggest problems I've faced in the past is HR. I say past because I'm not facing it anymore. I educated myself and got the team at Trinet on my side. Trinet and their expert team help us at mission with our payroll, benefits, and compliance. Trinet offers full service HR solutions tailored to your industry. So educate yourself and get the HR help you need. Whether your team is 10 people or 1,000, Trinet has you covered. Check out Trinet for your HR needs today. Christy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Christy, as president and CEO of Absolute, you are a leader in endpoint resilience. And for those of us who are outside the tech bubble, would love for your you to just explain, you know, what is Absolute and what do you do? So we are an endpoint security company. We have a tiny piece of technology that's embedded in the firmware of most PCs and uh, laptops on the planet. Most of our customers use that to manage employees, manage their devices. More specifically, we can locate them, we could freeze them, we could wipe them. We can fix and heal software applications. We can monitor certain aspects of the system. So we have about 12,000 customers and we work worldwide helping customers increase endpoint resilience. Very cool. And you are not just an expert in this, but I would say you have some deep domain expertise. So where'd you get started in your career and what was kind of aha moment that technology and cybersecurity was going to be big for you? So I started as a as a developer, and I, I did a wide variety of things. I worked at, at Palm, and I worked at Apple, and, and I think my the most of my work for security started at Motorola. I was responsible for a lot of the different software capabilities that were being developed for our mobile devices, and a huge part of that was security. At some point, we started talking about how mo- those mobile devices would behave or perform in the enterprise. 
After we um, sold Motorola to Google, I went to uh, Citigroup and I also had a company called Good Technology where we, again, focused on, on mobility and security. So I've been in security for, for a fair amount of time. I've, I've worked with insider threat and I've worked with a number of different key security topics. What Absolute does that, that I'm most interested in when I first saw it is this concept of resilience. You know, the thing that I got most excited about is well, security, there's a thousand, three thousand different security companies. Everybody's solving a unique problem. It's a very, very busy space and it's a very badly needed space. But making sure that, that all those security technologies are actually working, that they're installed and that they're running is a really, really hard problem. So, Christy, you were working at Sun Microsystems, Palm, Apple, Motorola, Citigroup. I'm curious, are there any stories that stand out maybe early on in your career as a developer? that you like to you know, reflect on from time to time? I wouldn't even know where to start. I think I, I, was, I was very blessed. I, I had the opportunity to work with some of those companies you just mentioned at really sort of pivotal times. I mean, I think when I was working at Sun, we were launching Java. And, and part of my role was explaining what Java was and why it was so fundamentally different. Um, I got to participate on the board of the Linux Foundation as we were trying to figure out how Linux and, op and open platforms would be relevant in the, in the mobile world. I think that, that the part that, that I get most excited about when I look back on, on the time that I've sort of been working in this industry is just how far we've come. You know, we, we talk now about mobility and people doing their work anywhere, anytime. I remember one of the key mantras of Java was anytime, anywhere, any platform. Right? These are things that are becoming true now, but but it's, it's been quite a long period of time for us to get to this moment. Sure. So in the technology industry, there's always this you know, chicken and egg problem where there's the realm of the adjacent possible. There's the realm of what you want the technology to do, but it's sometimes not quite there. I'm curious if you could kind of like present a lay of the land in the security space. Where's the space at right now? You know, you work with 12,000 different organizations. What would you say most organizations are struggling with right now? And, you know, what is that promise, that shining city on the hill that they're looking for? That's a great question, because I think that that kind of sums up, that is, in fact, the core of the problem. The security industry is moving so quickly, and it's moving so quickly by necessity, right? As, as quickly as, as we innovate and discover ways to solve problems, we have new challenges that introduce themselves, new kinds of threats, vulnerabilities. So if you were to ask most, most CIOs and most CISOs where they spend most of their day and what, what is probably one of the most frustrating things they think about is just how to make it work. So just to give you a sense, you know, we're, we're going to spend annually in the next couple of years over $170 billion a year in security. About 50 billion of that is going to get spent in security that runs on PCs and endpoints every year. The average PC and, or laptop that we see, you know, has at least 10 security applications running on it, hmm. if not 20 or more in larger organizations. And that depth, right, that stack, that collection of technology is a result of every time we think of a new way that you can be compromised there's a new security or a new control introduced. It's VPN, it's identity and access management. It is, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. And so that's the hardest part, right? There's an infinite number of combinations of operating system patches and versions and 
network configurations and controls and environmental contributors. So I think the biggest challenge for the security industry right now is just how do we actually make that work? There's no single vulnerability that's going to take us all down, but the weight of the security industry and and the complexity that it sort of creates in these endpoints is actually a massive, massive problem. Right. And it seems like it's almost an information problem where the information sharing is often siloed at one corporation. And, you know, do you see a lot of CIOs and CISOs talking and sharing information and collaborating as much as they need to be with the rate of the evolving complexity? I do see security is one of the more interesting industries where there is probably more information sharing than you would see in other spaces because we we tend to have sort of common goals. But the problem is you there's so many different combinations of how these different products can work together that while we can talk amongst peers, if CIOs are in a room, they could speak with one another about best practices and which products or technologies or strategies worked well for them versus which ones didn't. But so much of what contributes to success is unique to that organization that it's, it's not really, I like to say it's not an environment where recipe books are going to work, right? It's not like if you take two of these and one of those and a fourth one of these, that that combination has been tested so frequently that it's just going to work flawlessly. Now, the benefit that we have is that, you know, we're in a world now where we get a tremendous amount of data. We have the capability to do real-time learning, machine learning, to look for trends and patterns. And so so I don't think this is a space where we need to sort of swap recipes. This is a space where we need to listen to the data that's coming back to us, take this real-time intelligence coming back from these devices and behave in real-time to sort of fix the problems. And that's a new approach for software industry as a whole. It's a different way to solve the problem because common software development has been identify the the matrix, the test matrix, you know, test against those configurations, ship your product, you know, 80% of the world will be great with what you just shipped. But in the security industry, it's becoming increasingly less like that just because of the complexity. Hmm. So with this complexity, when you are out there meeting clients, meeting customers or meeting prospective customers, what are some stories that you hear that are you know, you hear the story again and again, and what type of solutions does Absolute have for common problems? The number one and probably most shocking thing that we hear is we just don't know. Right. Right. How many devices are in your organization? We don't know, right? The users put them, they stopped using them. We gave them a new laptop that they put the old one in a desk drawer um, or they they uh, tried to wipe the operating system and send their teenager to school with it or it got lost, but you know nobody wanted to report it, so so we just don't know, right? I think the tracking assets and understanding the state of those assets, you know, like if you deployed VPN within your organization, you would say, I know that VPN was a critical control that I was required to install for compliance, and I know that I sent it out and I installed it on 100% of my employees' computers. And if you ask them, well, how do you know if it's running? They don't know. They don't know. If a control stops working, You might notice that it stopped calling in, but you don't really know. Is that just because the user upgraded their system, right? What the what Absolute does is we actually know because we're embedded in the hardware itself. We can, you know, we can send that information back to the organization. And so they they actually already have the data. And so we, our strategy is really just, you know, help the organizations use the data they already have about their environment to solve real world problems. We can show them exactly where those applications are installed or where they've gone offline. We published a report last spring where we we actually calculated the rate of decay for common security controls. 
So we, we know and we can quantify that's, that each different application, let's call it VPN or, or a malware solution, you may say I've installed it on 100% of the endpoints. It's probably running on somewhere between 70 and 75% of what you think it's installed on <laughs> because either the user deleted it or it stopped working or it missed a patch and it went out, something bad happened. And we can actually see the rate of decay over time. And that's where this concept of fixing things or self-healing is really important, where one of the things our platform can do is we can actually see when something has been deleted or gone offline and we can fix it or heal it and, and sort of prop it back up and then tell you, hey, by the way, these things are going offline. You might want to go and look at why. So that kind of visibility, I think, is probably the biggest question. It's not the hard, hard things. It's the simple things. And it's just being getting sure. that source of truth back from your devices to tell you what's really going on. Yeah. Eliminate the fog of war and commanders can make better decisions. I love it. Well, if you have 10 different security applications running on that device, each one of them is reporting data back about what they're seeing and what they're doing. Right. Each one of those 10 is one of the things that's decaying over time. So you never are really able to line that data up perfectly. You're saying, well, SCCM is telling me I have this many of these things and Tanium is telling me something different. Right, because we're sitting underneath the operating system, right? We don't we don't have that same gap. That's fascinating. And I would imagine that being located in the firmware of all these devices, I think around five hundred million, would require you to have a very robust partnership strategy with device makers and with companies like that. I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, your philosophy when it comes to partnerships and yeah, how you're thinking about expanding that strategy as we get into the world of IoT and more and more devices being connected. Sure. So our, our relationships with our OEM partners is, is probably one of the, the most critical parts of our business. So for well over a decade, if not close to two decades, we've been doing these partnerships where we are embedded in, in the product. And our, you know, our partnership philosophy, to sum it up really simply, is our job is, is to create value for our partners and for our customers. And so so the relationships we have with these partners are not just technical relationships. There's a customer relationship, right? It's combined, you know, how can we make devices more resilient? How can we make them more manageable? We spend a lot of time with our partners trying to understand how we can support their go-to-market strategies and how they sell and support and market with their customers more, more effectively. We're a tiny part of a much bigger story for any one of these entities, but if there's ways that we can contribute to their success because they're trying to look at, for example, how well they're give more value in the warranty program with these customers or sell more manageable devices, right? There, there's some things that we can do. These are their strategies. It's their software. And we're just a part of making that better. Right. Partnership strategy is fundamentally, you know, I like to say we're a partner first organization. We have 12,000 customers and we have a direct relationship with those customers, but almost every one of those customers is connected to a critical partner that we work with, or in many cases, multiple partners with a common customer. Right. And when you were getting started at Absolute, I'm curious, what was your founding vision and how has that kind of evolved over time to where you're at today? Yeah. So when I first came to Absolute, which was just about a year and a half ago, the thing that really caught my attention was this gap in, in sort of endpoint visibility, this this concept that there's this capability built into a half a billion devices to make them to make them better, right? How many opportunities in your life do you have to make a product that's already in the hands of the customer better after the fact, right? It's, we can make them sure. stronger. We can make them more resilient. We can make them more intelligent. 
we can sort of help them connect to those devices and solve real problems. And, and I think if there's something I've been passionate about throughout my, my career, it really, you know, I, I really only have one job and that is to solve customer problems, right? Customers tell us the things they're struggling with and our job is to go solve those things. So, you know, I was talking to a customer this morning that's trying to mobilize a big part of their workforce in response to this current situation we're all facing. Um, and they said, listen, the thing I'm really, really worried about is a lot of these devices have never had to work at home before. We don't, how do we monitor what pr private information is on there? How do we monitor, you know, how do we take action if we find out that there's PII on a device that's not encrypted? And the answer is, mm -hmm. right, you, you need a lifeline to that device so that you can A, see what data is there, and then B, maybe you want to encrypt it. Maybe you want to remove it. Maybe you want to, but you, you need the ability to take action. So we have those conversations. We come back and we say, what do we do? And then we go solve customers' problems just one at a time. And Christy, when you are thinking about the future of this space, is there anything that you are, maybe, any, is there anything you believe that very few people in the space agree with you on or that you are almost hesitant to share? What's your wild idea about the future of this industry? Now, you know, I think when I first came here, folks, there was a, this concept of resilience or the management, the securing of security, right? The sort of watching the watchers and making sure they're healthy, right? I'm not here to compete with the security industry. I'm here to help it and make it stronger and help customers get more value out of the security products that they're buying by being another capability they can use to manage not just the device, but the security controls you're running on top of it. And I think in the beginning, that was a you know, there's a lot of questions about, well, I have other products that can see a lot of data and, you know, I don't think I have that big of a problem, which was why we did the intelligence report in the spring. And we said, listen, if, if I can show you that almost 30 cents on every dollar you're spending in, in security in certain areas is you're not getting the benefit of it. And more importantly, if you ever faced a moment where all of your employees were working from home and had to rely on those security controls, you know, would you sleep well at night? And so, so that was why, you know, really looking at the data was so critically important for us. And I would say, if anything, a year later, I'm more passionate and more committed. And I think what we're going through as an industry and as a society right now makes me just even more committed to the fact that, that this is such a significant issue. Right now, large numbers of devices are going into work from home environments for the first, first time in some cases. You have users who've never worked out of the office being asked mm -hmm. to do this for the first time, you're going to have help desks that are going to get bombarded with issues. You know, we were talking this morning about what some of the most frequent help desk calls that were coming into various different help desks and different customers. It was things like, do you have a headset for me? Do you have an extra monitor I can take home? How do I make the VPN work? Why is WebEx not working? Clearly everything is being stress tested right now. So this lifeline out to those devices to be able to manage them in this gap is is critical. And you can probably tell I'm incredibly passionate about where we're able to help our customers with that. I love that. Yeah. And I think that it's a great time for resiliency broadly because it's all of our systems are kind of being stress tested, like you said, and especially our cultural operating systems. So you've worked at many different positions as CEO, as a developer, you've been on the board several different places, led companies through exits. What is your philosophy when it comes to culture building and getting a culture kind of stress tested and ready for moments like this? Yeah. So the way I would sum up our culture is one team, one number, right? We're fundamentally problem solvers. And so, so we tend to think about not sort of the things we can't do, but the things we could do. And, 
and we have to think about them collectively. And, and this one team concept has been very powerful for us because it, it touches everything. So it touches, you know, I, I like to believe culture is a function of what you reward. So your reward system has to be connected to, to your values. It can't be, you can't say you believe in a laminated list of card of things and then, and then give people big bonuses when they behave in a different direction. So, so our values and our compensation are very closely connected. We have a collective set of problems that we solve together. And then the technology that we deploy within our company to support that is very much focused on, on not shockingly, collaboration and communication. So, you know, when I came into the company just over, just around a year and a half ago, you know, we weren't an organization that used video conferencing very frequently. And I said, listen, from now on, we have a cameras on policy. We're a very distributed organization. And if I don't want disconnected voices on the phone. I want, I want to see faces. There has to be, if we're going to solve problems together, we need to look each other in the eye. We need to build those relationships. And so how we over time thought about communicating with one another, collaborating with one another, solving problems together, and then to making technology decisions that, that helped us facilitate that collaboration platforms, video conferencing systems, security tools that enabled us to work remotely so that we'd still have that collaborative experience even when we weren't sitting in the same room. All of that, I think, contributes to this kind of one team culture where we're all looking at the, the same set of challenges. And so as something like this comes through our industry, we ask ourselves is how can we help, right? So we're instantly saying, what are the capabilities we have that help customers get through this? We announced, I think it was last week, that you know, there's a set of features that are reserved only for customers in, in our highest tier product. We literally said any customer who has any version of our product can have access to these things, things like making your VPN undeletable. Those are free while we sort of see each other through this crisis. We're calling customers and saying, what do you need? How can we help? but we kind of bring that culture of problem solving to the table. Hey everybody, we're taking a time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. If there's one thing I am about, and in fact, one thing the whole mission team is about, you know it's accelerated learning. One way I do that is by learning from the best. When it comes to learning about HR, the team and resources Trinet provides are my go-to source. Just this week, Trinet published a blog and webinar series to help small and medium-sized businesses manage the impact of COVID-19. It covers actions you can take to be prepared should one of your employees test positive for coronavirus. It also covers other factors you should consider, including employee compensation if your business is required to shut down due to the pandemic. There's lots happening now in real time. Go to Trinet.com and get the information you need to protect your business. Trinet will continue to post the latest as recommendations as legislation is changing on a daily basis. You are mobile for this role, so you're calling in from Canada right now. Some of your offices, I'm sure, are spread out all over the world, but you're flying to the Bay Area and back and forth. How do you think about work-life integration and your, your life more broadly? How are you staying healthy and keeping the balance and boundaries you need in place? So this is a skill that I would argue I, I probably only got competent at later in my career because <laughs> I think like so many of us, you take on more and more and more and more. I think what I've learned is that, uh, you know, we all have the ability to, to take on a lot. We all have the ability to do, you can have a great family life. You can be working, you can be passionate about things outside of work. You can, you know, there's, there's, we all have the opportunity to have a very diverse life. The thing that keeps me sane is, you know, we're, I'm incredibly sort of focused on compartmentalization. So 
So making sure that we were scheduling the right amount of time in each one of these areas and then being fully present in that moment and being very comfortable with trade-offs. So no matter what your work-life balance looks like, you are not going to be there for 100% of the things at home or 100% of the things at work or 100% of the things that you want to do personally. You have to be comfortable and you have to sort of forgive yourself when you say no to things and you say, listen, I would really love to do that, but I can't because I have to be fully present in this other thing right now. And so sort of thinking in advance about what, where you're willing to invest and then trying to bring your whole self into that conversation when you're having it so that, sure. so that when you're there, you're really, really truly there. And when you're there and maybe in the early days of learning or implementing this process and you have that inner critic, that inner voice going, that's telling you, you know, feel guilty because you're not doing this or because you're not there. How did you learn to push past that? And how do you shut off the voice of the inner critic? I, that's just practice, right? I think anybody who, who, who sort of <laughs> going through this, and I would say I was a young mom. So for a lot of my career, I had, I had young children. And so, you know, there's a constant conversation you're having with yourself around, am I home enough? Am I at work enough? Am I doing enough? You know, you go through it a few times and you realize, I didn't get to that meeting. I got the notes afterwards and it was okay. We actually yeah. got everything done we needed to get done. And, you know, we all maybe have a view that we're personally absolutely critical to every particular component. And in fact, you know, we probably have a lot more flexibility than we think, Definitely. especially if you plan it in advance. And so just kind of having this conversation with you and saying, listen, it's, it's okay. You know, I'm going to be transparent with folks about what I can do and what I can't do. And then I'm, I'm just going to be present when I'm there and give them the very best I can when I'm in that moment. Sure. And Christy, have there been any times in your career where you felt like you either failed or you let someone down or you just maybe took on too much? And when you realized that, okay, this is messed up here and you started the process of damage control or making things right. I'm curious, you know, have you been through some things like that? And if so, how'd you get through them? So I'm human. We, we all have been through <laughs> things like that. So I think that you, it's, gosh, I misjudged that one, you know, being transparent and taking accountability. We talked about culture before and whether it's accountability of yourself to step up or accountability of, of kind of the teams or the culture you're building around yourself I don't think of it as, as damage control. I think of it as teachable moments. You know, you're never going to have 100% of the information. You're never going to make completely perfect decisions. We're all just doing the best we can. And so I think that the key question is, what do I learn from this and what do I take forward? Whether that's at work and whether we're, again, we, we think we're doing the right thing for the customer, we'll put out a product and we'll realize, oh, that's not exactly how we thought they were going to use it. We thought they were going to do something different. We learn from that. We fix it. We put it back out again and say, we hear you. I mean, I've had moments where we've almost launched a product or have even in some cases launched a product and then realized we misjudged something and said, wait, oh, okay, we heard you. We got your feedback. We're going to go change it. And as frequently as that happened in my work life, I'd say that absolutely happened in my personal life as well. So sure, I don't think of it as cleanup. I think of it as, as learning. Yeah, I love that reframing or accurate framing. I guess. Yeah. Decision-making under opacity is not easy to do under the business side or the personal side. When you are operating in the business or your personal life, how have you gone about building the support systems of friends, mentors, colleagues, maybe the board of directors? How have you thought about building that support system and keeping it healthy around you? 
So my philosophy on relationships is relationships are clearly most effective when there's a high level of trust. Trust comes through transparency. And especially with things like mentorship, right? I, I think you grow together by doing together, right? You go and work on something together. And so you you always feel this sense of connection with people you've been through something with. And so bringing that sort of honesty and humility into a relationship and saying, here's what I know, here's what I don't know. And here's the problem we need to go solve. How do you think we should go through it and kind of working these pieces together? I'd say some of the best mentors in my life uh, that I had the benefit of working with didn't come as a result of us sort of upfront saying, let's go start a mentor-mentee relationship. It started from me saying, hey, there's, there's something here I want to learn. And I think this is the place I can learn it, or this is the person I can learn it from. And then being willing to include me in the conversation so that I could have that opportunity. And we actually try to replicate that in a lot of what we do at Absolute. We have a we have some, we have a chief of staff program as one example, where we, we take folks who are, it's a one-year rotation, we take folks who are sort of up-and-coming problem solvers within the organization and give them an opportunity to sort of work with the senior team in a different way, give them lots of visibility across the organization, and, and really sort of learn by observing and participating and doing it with us, and then they cycle out at the end of the year, um, theoretically stronger about solving problems cross-functionally across the organization. And so even as we think about leadership development, we think about that in the context of through relationships and through solving problems together. When you're looking for leaders or people in the chief of staff program or your SVPs or anything like that, what are you looking for? I mean, outside of the basics, right? Like character, honesty, integrity, things of that nature. Are you looking for a broad range of diverse experiences. Could you kind of drill down a little bit on your philosophy there? Yeah. So I think from a characteristics perspective, you know, important is humility and this wanting to sort of learn. So that curiosity, I want to go solve problems. I want to understand how things work. That kind of passion, right? How do I, I'm going to go solve the problem. I'm going to go answer the question. I'm going to, going to kind of go figure it out. When we're looking at individuals, I'd say especially in leaders, but not always, right, for anybody really, those attributes play a huge role. And I think the other piece that plays a huge role is the ability to collaborate. This one team culture is a really important thing. And so you're going to find, especially in the leadership ranks, you're going to find a lot of people who are very, very good at their jobs. They've been very good at their jobs for a really long time. They're good at leading people who are in the same role that they're in. But if I ask them to solve problems cross-functionally, really kind of take that humble approach and solve problems together, where, where maybe at that moment they're not the leader, they're sort of a team member, you'd be shocked at, at how big a gap that can be for folks who are otherwise really, really great leaders. And so it's something that I'm really sensitive to when we're looking at folks who are coming into the organization because it's such a big part of the culture and how we need to work together. You can move so much faster as an organization if you have transparency. If my team is sharing information with one another and they really understand what's going on to the same extent that I do in the various different parts, then they're going to make better decisions and they're going to be better teammates for one another. So that cultural component is a big part of leadership DNA at Absolute. I love it. And when you are getting out into the world, whether it's trade shows, you know, not as much now, but when you're meeting people, are there any trends in the security space that you feel like are just not getting enough press or, or is there any type of information you find yourself just wishing more people knew about right now? Outside of resilience, which is clearly the thing we think we come with. Yeah, definitely. If it's outside of resilience, if it's, it could be something nuanced or really, really technical, what are you kind of geeking out about? 
I think that people underestimate the complexity of the world we're headed into. As hard, maybe hard's not the right word, as fast-paced as securing the enterprise has been over the last decade, we've had the luxury somewhat of doing it on a finite number of systems. We've had desktops, we've had servers, we've had laptops. We've had a very small number of operating systems, many, many, many different versions within them, but still a relatively common operating environment to a certain extent. And I don't think we've really sort of absorbed the impact things like 5G is going to have on the enterprise, things like IoT. And I don't just mean that from a opportunity perspective, as in, you know, more things to manage means greater opportunity. I mean that the complexity, like the complexity I described to you about how much it takes to secure the enterprise today, almost all of that conversation is off of a base of maybe two or three operating systems. Hmm. Again, with many versions. Imagine, but also a small number of form factors. Most things have keyboards. Most things have a screen. Some things have a modem like or a wireless connection or a wireless modem. You know, the, the diversity of things people are going to be doing their work on a decade from now is going to be dramatically different. And so we're really, really caught up in managing the landscape of what's in front of us. And it's really, really important work. And at the same time, it's all about to change. Sure. And when you are kind of shoulder to shoulder and building with someone that, you know, not the official mentor maybe, but someone you're learning from and someone that you're doing things with or maybe executing a partnership with together, what are some lessons you've learned there for maybe like expediting trust or are there any of your, uh, you know, proudest partnership or mentor mentee moments that you like to talk about from your career? I think my first one would be assume good intentions. I think that, you know, when you're in an environment and you're, you're trying to solve hard problems, there's lots of opportunity to second guess or challenge or over strategize or, but at the end of the day, we're human beings that are all sort of kind of trying to solve problems and get to the same place. And so I think that, you know, that transparency, whether it's with a mentee or a mentor and kind of being able to share openly, talk about what it is we're trying to accomplish, being open to learn, I would say more than open, right? Being eager to learn. (laughs) That is kind of where that trusted relationship comes from. And so, you know, what can short circuit that is when you start to question and second guess and you come from a place of, I need to hold information. I need to protect my space. I need to, I can't collaborate with others because it will make me less successful. I think that's how you sort of hijack that learning process. Right. And when you are looking at your device on a day-to-day basis, your phone, that is, what apps are you using on your home screen? What is taking up the majority of your screen time? So I'm on a variety of different devices. I would say the, and I tend to use, like many people, I tend to use a lot of services that are cloud-based just because I am incredibly mobile and I am sometimes on a phone, sometimes on a laptop, sometimes on a different laptop. So I need the ability to get to data wherever it is and, it, and still in a, in a very secure way. I think the apps I spend most of my time in would be, we have a collaboration platform where we can instant message with one another and send files and documents and chat and communicate. I'd say video conferencing is the next app where I spend a lot of my time. So my day could, could be a, an eight to 10 hour day, but it could be literally all virtual depending on where, I, where in the world I am. So it could be a lot of screen time. And then of course, you know, the traditional messaging, calendaring, sort of organizational capabilities, productivity capabilities. I think across those three, you probably have a significant part of my day. Hmm. 
And when you are learning or building some models for getting information news or maybe just learning outside of work in some other areas that you're interested in, are you doing audiobooks, podcasts, physical books? How are you getting most of your information? I'm a very big reader. So I've always been a very fast reader. And especially because I fly quite a bit, I tend to take a lot of books. Mostly they're digital. I don't take the physical books anymore. I used to, but it got heavy. So usually they're on my phone. I can read my average might be if I'm if I'm in a groove, it could be a book of flight. I mean, I absorb a lot of content that way. And I would also say online. I'm a voracious reader online as well. It's not that I don't listen to podcasts and do other things, video content, et cetera. But for me, I think my fastest path has always been reading. Sure. And I assume that's through the Kindle app or what are you using there? I use the Kindle app quite a lot. I use a lot of different apps, but I'd say I've probably built up quite a content library over time. <laughs> sure. And what's on the shelves, if you don't mind me asking? Is it sci-fi? Is it technical stuff? Business con content? What is it? So for that amount, you could imagine there's a broad diversity of things, but I like a lot of biographies and I like a lot of historical, both sort of political historical, but also other companies and what they've experienced, other individuals and what they've experienced, not just sort of business or political. I love all sorts of different kind of history stories about what we've learned and where we've come from and how we could apply that kind of going from here. And then I'm not going to lie, there's a fair amount of time where I'm just having fun and I'm reading fun stuff. So, sure. you know, I've probably plowed through the Harry Potters when they first came out. I've done all of the series you could name. I've probably done them over a series. Of <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Biography is, it's really like this ultimate learning tool, you know, biography that can be trusted, I guess, right? The old Orwell quote is so, yeah, so fascinating to learn from. Well, whether you agreed with them or didn't agree with them or liked them or didn't like them, there's always something you can learn. And, and it's, you know, there's Definitely. always, what I found actually really interesting during one, one sort of chapter was I was reading through the different biographies of the different American presidents. And what was interesting, what I found fascinating is if you would read about one, you would read about sort of the president that came before him and the president that came after him. And then when you read the next one, right, they would describe the same exact same series of events, but from a completely different perspective. And so in some cases, you were hearing about the same story from three or four different sets of eyes because you have different people's sort of perspectives of it. So Very cool. And when you are getting advice, I'm sure that happens pretty rarely now. If you think back about the history of the advice that you've received throughout your career, what's been some of the greatest advice you've ever received? So first of all, I get advice all the time, <laughs> solicited and unsolicited, but but solicited. <laughs> I, I ask all the time. I ask my employees, I ask my team, I ask the board. I mean, I ask peers, I, I'm constantly asking. I would say early on, one of the best pieces of advice I got was always run to something and never run from something. And while that's incredibly simplistic, it applied to so much, right? It applied to whether it was going towards the kind of work I wanted to do or to towards the kinds of people I wanted to work with or the kinds of problems I wanted to solve. Or And so it really stuck with me over time because if I'm in the middle of a hard decision, you know, you have to kind of stop and ask yourself, am I tempting myself with this because I'm trying to get away from something uncomfortable or am I doing this because there's something really there that I'm trying to get to, trying to learn or trying to experience? That's a great question for sure. I'll be uh, asking myself that uh, remainder of the day here. <laughs> what about when it comes to giving advice? Is there any advice that you find yourself giving to young members on your team again and again? I Probably. I think, you know, I'm probably less helpful in what I'd call the more traditional, you know, when I've been asked to speak to students about 
traditional things like what kinds of courses should I take or what paths should I take, I'm probably less helpful. I think my recipe for sort of how I, or at least the process I would go through every time I made a major decision for myself was, what is the thing I'm trying to learn? What is the thing I'm excited about? Is it the product? Is it the the team? Like, what is the thing that's got me excited to the point where I'm having this conversation? What am I here to learn? What am I going to learn from that experience? And, and who do I think I'm going to learn from? And, and am I going to be close enough to them that I'm going to have that opportunity? And so it's a very different way of making decisions because I, I hear a lot from young people, well, I'm this age, so I should already be a vice president or... <laughs> I've been an individual contributor for five years. I should have been a manager a year ago. Like somebody has a clock or a calendar and that like the gun went off and you're in a race. Yeah. And so I, I tend to tell a lot of folks, be patient, try to understand what you're there to learn. And the time to start thinking about going elsewhere is when you realize you're not learning anything anymore. And, and then what is the thing that's going to get you excited again? Yeah. And it's a little bit like what we were talking about at the beginning where there's no playbook and you know, you can't always do the comparison thing because that's a, a never-ending treadmill. So Christy, this it's is tough. I have, I have teenagers, as we talked about before, and they get so much pressure through school and, and going into college that there's a recipe and a, and a tick list. And, and so when you try to explain to them, you know, that's not how this is going to work. You know, how this is going to work is you're going to get excited about doing something. You're going to go do it. And then you're going to talk about the experience you had doing it. And that's going to be valuable. And that's what you're going to take forward. For sure. Yeah, the biographies that get read the most and talked about the most were not statistical samplings where, <laughs> where the individuals did what they were told at the ages that they were told to do it, for sure. Christy, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for being generous with your time. When you're back in the Bay Area after the crisis has died down, we'd love to do an in-person session and sit down with you. Is there any final call to action, thought, or meditation you'd like to leave for our listeners? I don't think so. I think we're all in such a chaotic time right now that the only thing I could probably offer is is take a breath. I realize over the last couple of weeks, everybody has just been racing because of the things that are unfolding around us and, and how that's changing our day-to-day -day life and what the new normal is. And every once in a while, even myself, I have to stand up and walk outside and take a breath and look at the sky and go, okay, I'm back. All right. I'm centered. <laughs> just, just give yourself yeah. a minute. <laughs> I love it. Christy, thanks so much. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next time. By now, you know that Trinet is our sponsor for Mission Daily. You know they have amazing full-service HR solutions for your business. So what are you waiting for? When you go to trinet.com to get more information, you help support independent media like Mission Daily, and you help support our team here. And you, as a business owner or HR exec, can get top-notch service from the team at Trinet. Stop worrying about HR issues and team up with the best, Trinet. You don't have to go at it alone. Reduce your worry. You need a team and Trinet is your go-to team for HR. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.